Welcome to Utopian Horizons. To episode 17 of Utopian Horizons, a podcast where I take a look at a different utopia, dystopia, utopian thinker or movement in each episode. This episode is about Robocop. This is something of an emergency episode I wasn't planning to do. I was going to do an episode on Robocop ages ago and I prepared for it, had my notes for it and stuff, but the guest I was supposed to be having on kind of disappeared and stopped responding to my emails. I don't know why, but that means that I didn't do it and it's obviously been a while since I've done an episode. I was just about just trying to record one but um, unfortunately my guest's hotel wi-fi let us down so we're going to have to reconvene at some point to do that. So given that that's now been delayed I thought hey I've got these notes for Robocop I will just try and do this episode by myself and hope that it goes okay uh, so that you've got something to listen to and it's not ages and ages until the next episode. Sorry for the um, big gap in uh, between this and the last episode in general. That's just when I could arrange stuff with guests and also me taking too long to read the stuff that I'm working on, other stuff getting in the way, whatever. So anyway, I hope this episode is okay and keeps you going until I can get on to, to the next couple, which um, hopefully won't be too far into the future. So Robocop, you probably all... No, Robocop is a 1987 film directed by Paul Verhoeven. Basic synopsis of the plot, the protagonist, who's called Alex Murphy, is a police officer who gets killed at the beginning of the film and uh, rather brutally and is um, then transformed into a cyborg police officer who is not supposed to be aware of, of who he is and is supposed to be a kind of perfect, obedient, invincible police officer. The obvious place to start is with... Robocop himself, the the figure of the cyborg. This is something we have already seen in the history of this podcast that sci-fi deals with with a lot. The idea of um, augmentation of humans and prosthetics and our increasingly close relationship to technology in general. Now, obviously, there's always something metaphorical going on with things like this, where we have literal cyborgs. In some sense, it's a metaphorical thing about our increasingly intimate relationship with technology but in the case of Robocop there are there have been genuine attempts to create something like this something in this vein so for example I managed to find something called the the Talos project which was cancelled early in 2017 but that was like a exosuit for the military that um that you would wear to give you effectively superhuman capabilities um, these technologies, of course, tend to uh, find their way through from the military down into law enforcement, particularly in America, where that is a big issue. Um, police departments are able to to claim uh, military equipment and use it. That's something we'll get onto. But just focusing on the, on this thing at the moment of the power fantasy of the cyborg and this idea of creating creating an enhanced police officer. So. Something we see in this film is is in some ways this is depicted as a, a positive thing. There's kind of power fantasy there. Like there's a number of scenes where we see Robocop walking through bullets, just bouncing off him. And it's got the cool music. He's, you know, just plowing through. He's got the cool targeting system that floats over people. He shoots over his shoulder and stuff like that. 
he's able to just kind of plow through people and he does it in a cool way and this technology enhances abilities in the way it's depicted allowing him enhancing him so that he can do cool stuff and he can clean out these bad guys easily and and safely but there are also negative aspects to that as well and i don't think when i say they're positive and negative aspects aspects i don't think it's that the film is kind of setting up some kind of tally sheet of like good points and and bad points i think that in some sense it's working at cross purposes not working at cross purposes but it, it holds both these contradictory interpretations of the cyborg at the same time which i think is kind of an interesting result often of a kind of hollywood action films like i think paul verhoeven has a very kind of uh, cynical and satirical I, which is something that, that we'll get onto, but he's producing a Hollywood product. He's producing a commercial action film. So these kind of things of like, you know, like I said, shooting over the shoulder and the cool technology and the robot doing all this awesome stuff and explosions, that's a part of that. And that has to be there when you produce something in that system. So that's why it holds these kind of um, contradictory ideas that are uh, kind of intention, which is something which I always think makes like big commercial sci-fi and fiction quite interesting myself. So anyway, the, the negative aspects, obviously we see that Webercop becomes, or, or um, I forgot his name, Murphy becomes like an object, a product. He's, he's lost his own identity. He's lost control of himself. And we see becoming a cyborg also present as being a traumatic experience. He becomes a kind of monster. Um, he, he's lost his, his family uh, and his, in a sense his humanity. And we see him kind of going through this traumatic experience of, of remembering uh, his, his old life, which he's not supposed to, but that's what happens. There's a scene where he visits his old house that's been sold. It's, it's up for sale. It hasn't been sold, so it's up for sale. And it's this horrible, dehumanising experience. Like when he's walking through it, it's got these automatic uh, kind of real estate uh, sales pitches being read out as he remembers his old life in the house. So it's kind of um, symbolised within the house, like he's remembering this space as like a home, <clears throat> as a place for his family. But the this automatic like real estate sales pitch is is playing all the time. So <clears throat> again, that's been transformed into a, a product, something like empty, and he's he's lost that that aspect of himself. His home's lost that aspect of himself. And all of this stuff feels that that he's lost feels kind of irrevocable, and he he cannot be considered human by others. At, at least at the start of the film, he's a robot. They don't think he cares about things, so they kind of treat him badly. And skipping ahead to the end, like I mean, when I talk about these dual purposes that it's working at, and we think like, where is Robocop at the end of of the movie? He gets revenge, which is again classic action film thing, but what has he become it kind of tries to suggest there's this idea that in the tension between his his cyborg side and his human side that humanity has won somehow um robocop's kind of been accepted to some degree by his his colleagues he gains more control over himself so there's a sense that humanity has triumphed over the, the cyber aspect but that's not really what happens like so part of the the signs of his humanity is this fact that he can do quips now and he's seen as a hero by other people but he hasn't actually regained what he's lost so what he does he still essentially follows his programming he has been transformed into into an object that performs law enforcement that is owned by the police and that must um, follow for in its programming enforcing the law 
and he still does that at the end of the film. He he, it's not like he rebels and um tries to get out of the uh, of the role that's that's been created for him. As in, for example, Ghost in the Shell, as, as we talked about in a previous episode. If you want to go back to that for a kind of uh, Japanese uh, perspective, which tends to I think be much more ambiguous on the on the cyborg, and certainly in the case of um, Ghost in the Shell, is more nuanced than this. Uh, in some ways, anyway. But he has still become what Robocop was intended to be. Like, he's a perfect law enforcement agent. And even better, he now has the appearance of being human. And that's what the state or uh, power would like uh, a cop to be, right? It's somebody who can enforce the law perfectly and brutally and efficiently, but can have the appearance of of being human, of, of being more caring, whereas where behind that, they're just enforcing power. And that's what Robocop has become, essentially, at the end of the film. Um, so despite the fact that it wants you to feel like the human has, has won some way, I think it's uh, a bit more complicated than that. So the other thing that um, Robocop obviously makes us think about is the militarization of the police, uh, militarization of law enforcement, which is something that is obviously very prescient, particularly in America. The police there have a more and more kind of military appearance. They employ military tactics. They have military weaponry. They have military vehicles. And obviously this isn't something that just happens in the US, but it's kind of the extreme point of it so i'm going to focus on on that so robocop is tapping into something that is something we've very much dealing with you look at in america like the protests in in ferguson after the shooting of michael brown at the end of 2014 and the display of of military gear military force by the police their tactics and response was was criticized for the um for the military approach there have been repeated incidents of the police using um, flashbangs. There was a uh, Rikia Russell who was um, the police used uh, flashbangs in raiding, looking for drugs. There were no drugs found, and she was um, severely burned by that incident. There's also an incident where flashbangs set a house on fire. There have been several lawsuits due to excessive force, for example, in the Occupy protests in 2011. There was an incident in 2014 in Georgia, again, a flashbang that landed in the playpen of a 19-month-old child um, and severely burned and mutilated their face. So, yeah, this is something that is, is very much happening. Obviously, the results of that tend to be borne by black people who are most commonly at threat of the, the police excesses, which um, isn't something that Robocop particularly deals with, but bears worth mentioning. Um, we've also got the increased use of, of SWAT. So like sw- the use of SWAT's become a really common thing. I was looking into this, and so in the 1980s, SWAT teams were deployed around 3,000 times uh, in the space of a year. In 2005, they were deployed 45,000 times. Um, in 2015 50,000 times so again we can see that this is happening this is increasing and unsurprisingly the force they use is often disproportionate as a scene in for example a film called do not resist where a team in full military gear helmets assault rifles they smash into a house raid the home and they find a gram and a half of marijuana so this escalation that robocop represents is is very much a problem that's very much something that is a source of danger and continues to, to escalate. And this shows you that Robocop as a figure is, it might seem silly to say, but he is something that I think power 
wants. It's something that the US government in particular and US law enforcement wants and uh, are actively trying to create in a, in a less literal way. Um, as I mentioned before, the, part of the reason this happened is because unused military equipment goes on a list that police forces can now bid for, which kicked up a gear after 9-11, the 1033 and Homeland Security programs. That ended up with local governments acquiring armoured vehicles, M16s, grenade launchers, infrared gun sites, all the stuff that's designed for combat being used in a in a domestic scenario, which, um, again, to refer to a previous episode, going back to our Black Panthers episode, something that we talked about was the, the way they thought about the police as a kind of occupying force like creating these these ghettos and then kind of being a, a, a colonial power that's uh, kind of invading and um, occupying those areas and we can see that that law enforcement has adopted that way of thinking in a sense like they are reimagining themselves as a combat force and they're behaving in a combat force and treating their citizens as kind of dangerous um, enemy combatants which the um, danger of that I think is is pretty obvious I think their effect on on democratic protest is is a real issue that obviously discourages protest it makes it conflictual which is ideal for them because th- there's nothing police love more when you know protesters fight back when they are being brutalized and then the media films that and shows the protesters being violent as a way to kind of discredit the the court whatever cause it is they're fighting for so this kind of conflictual element that the militarization of police brings i think is is uh quite deliberate and again on that thing of like seeing your citizens as kind of a enemy force like counter-terrorism tactics were used at the standing rock protests for example um, which was um, discovered through documents leaked to the intercepts and protesters nap were compared to jihadis so I'm not exaggerating when when I say that. And this this isn't just about like military technology, um, like you know guns and stuff, whatever. This this robot power fantasy, this this fetishizing of of technology, is also there in stuff like face scanners. You know, being able to to scan people and, and pick out suspects. Particularly, I've seen quite a few news stories about face scanning technology in in China, being able to you know track their citizens. Teresa is talking about surveillance um, technology as a means of dealing with crime and like because Robocop's got all this stuff built into him like he's able to there's scenes where he's scanning through uh, suspect databases like matching up the faces so he is uh, also this kind of surveillance um, tool as well as uh, like a literal enforcement and perhaps going back to this this Hollywood thing it's perhaps telling that the criticism of the actual police you know we've gone for these these examples um, which are obviously post robocop but you you, you do there's plenty of examples of uh police brutality and violence uh, prior to that as well so there's no criticism of that really in in the film the police are all good public servants just trying to do their job you know, under pressure from from the stresses that they're under um so it's kind of ineffective ineffective i think is a critique of, of militarized militarization in in some ways although i will say at least the the kind of violence that we see is imposed by private interests uh, and the elite in this film. Uh, so there's at least that. It's not like a, a working class thing. It's a it's an imposition from above. So there is that. Something else that Bez mentioned is this that this film also taps into real fear of crime, in particular in inner city crime, the rise of gang crime in, in LA around the, the kind of time of, of Robocop. It's kind of idea of of the inner city being out of control you know riots and and things like that so it's also 
kind of fantasy about imposing order on, on real real fears in some way. And there was this real kind of crackdown on crime in the US, in the UK as well, related to, you know, urban decay, economic troubles um, in both places, uh, drug problems in, in, uh, in the US. And the film doesn't really find a kind of um, utopian um, perspective on that. Like it doesn't locate these things um, as causes of, you know, oppression on on a on the working class. It it um, instead imposes a fantasy to to kind of grind control it. And you see that in the the criminals themselves. Like they the criminals all dress like they're from a Michael Jackson video, like from Bad or something, and they're all insane. Like they they're f- like almost feral, like completely nihilistic. You see that in stuff like Escape from New York as well. So it's just very like much this idea of this inner city, like feral criminal that is not connected. Like their 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 crime is not connected to any um, social factors or anything like that. They're just kind of almost zombie-like in the way that they, they can't be reasoned with a person who commits crime. And again, yeah, that they have to be controlled, which is what Robocop is there to do. So let's talk a bit about the, the world of Robocop and the, and the media. So there's a tone there that you'll be familiar with if you've seen Paul Verhoeven films, like also Starship Troopers does this. It uses um, Robocop and Starship Troopers both use news reports and adverts interspersed to kind of give you a, a, a flavour of the world, which I quite like this technique. It's obviously a, a satire of um, American culture. It's perhaps less impactful now that the UK, I guess the world in general, has become more Americanized. But like, I remember seeing American ads and news reports for the for the first time like a long time ago, and they had. They seemed like absolutely bonkers, like completely bizarre, tran- really transparent fakeness to them, which made them laughable. I mean, I do still see American adverts occasionally, and they still still do have that effect. So maybe that's still there. But like this overt salesmanship and consumerism is is really striking. And obviously, Robocop is doing is ramping that up in its adverts, and it's interesting that, that stuff's there alongside the more conservative stuff i guess we're talking about the different ways you you can think of robocop like that stuff being there gives you cause to reflect um even if it's just in there as like a, a joke about hey isn't american consumerism stupid like it's just you know, there for a short amount of time it makes you reflect on the film in a way you wouldn't otherwise and when you're thinking about things like um you know, people as objects people as, as products the fact that stuff that stuff's there makes you engage with the um, more conservative stuff in the film in a more critical way. I think so. I think that that works to its benefit. There's also the the news reports, so, as I mentioned, where the news and even crime is entertainment, which is again something that's become more common. Obviously, something that started in the US, I think, and is that extreme in the US, but something we did, we're familiar with um, in the UK. I'm sure it's like that. In other countries as well there's something like really disconcerting about the anchors cheeriness when they're talking about like uh you know potentially horrific things they're focused on the trivial when they're covering serious issues so there's something about the the star wars missile system which you'll be familiar with the star wars missile system thing that would um intercept nuclear missiles i think in the you know in the orbit i don't know i can't remember if it's meant to be exactly the same thing in the film but it's drawing on that and so the Star Wars system goes off and <laughs> accidentally misfires and scorches 10,000 acres in California and kills two ex-presidents. This thing malfunctioning would obviously have massive geopolitical implications in real life and is rather disturbing. But like again, this is how delivered with this kind of 
disconnected cheeriness, you know, fake smiles, and again, this focus on the, on the trivial. But yeah, this idea of obviously crime and politics being turned into reality TV entertainment. You can obviously see in like the coverage of last election in America, for example, plenty of other examples as well. I also think it's just worth mentioning the medical advert in the film. So there's an, an advert for a, a Yamaha heart and, you know, presenting medicine as a product. Again, that's something which has become um, quite extreme in America where healthcare is not necessarily seen as a, a right by everyone and as something which is increasingly being pushed in the UK. The, the NHS is increasingly at threat of privatisation and this um, consumerization of, of health. So again, that's something that Robocop's seen coming and uh, is obviously very dangerous. And again, yeah, I like the way that playing it up to these completely like absurd and ridiculous levels highlights how uh, vulgar this consumerization is in general and into the things that we need, things that are um, vital to us living, how dangerous that is. Let's move on to that now and talk a little bit about privatization. So the story of Robocop is that OCP, which is a company, has been tasked with providing policing and it has start cutting things cutting staff because obviously it's running for profit because it's a, a business and this has put the precinct the police precinct in the film at breaking point they're unable to deal with the crime crimes that they they are being asked to and obviously again this is something which is incredibly prevalent today like privatization of security is always increasing it's not something that's particularly visible, but private contractors were used a lot in Iraq, for example, in the military. So privatization of warfare. Um, again, I've already talked about privatization of health. So there's this always this encroachment into private sphere. This obviously, I think almost nobody believes now that private providers do these things um, better which is is the ideology that is used to justify that. But of course, it never happens like that. Actually, all these things actually become more inefficient. They become more expensive. People lose their jobs because obviously the the task of or the the thinking of a private company is always to maximise profits, not to provide the best service. So they always cut things, cut jobs, cut people's wages, and so on. And that's what happens here. To give an example of that, that obviously the um, health service in America, which is obviously incredibly privatised compared to UK. America spends twice as high a percentage of its GDP on health than the UK does, and the UK has universal coverage. So that's just one example of the fact that, you know, the lie that it's it's more efficient. Private prisons as well, something I, I didn't mention, prisons. Um, this is a big issue in the UK and US. There are there was um, a report in the UK from an undercover BBC re- reporter in private prisons in the UK. Uh, we've got... I believe we've got uh, 14 at the moment and unsurprisingly they had bad condition the prisons were kind of in chaos they were failing alarms big drug problems um, G4S which is a security company in the UK there have been many many scandals I think they run some of these prisons as well but they, they do other security and stuff I think they've been used for um, what you call it like you know detention centers for where they where they lock up asylum seekers for having committed no crimes they have there have been multiple scandals about violence from them they've been made you know deaths in custody so so again yeah this kind of degeneration to chaos that's depicted in the in the film through the privatization of the police is something that um we see happening 
There's also, uh, I've read about something like a US inquiry into private prisons in the, in the US. And again, they were found to be drastically more unsafe. Inmates at two of the three prisons that were routinely visited put inmates in solitary confinement to combat overcrowding rather than for disciplinary reasons. They found that staff were less well-trained and less well-paid. So again, this thing that's being depicted in Robocop, this in this kind of a dystopic collapsing society, when you privatise these things, they become more inefficient. Things start to spiral into chaos. They're not properly, properly run. Or at least we can say that they're not probably run until you get to the other end of the scale. So you can also think about gated communities hiring private security. And then you have a situation where certain places are policed very well. And you can apply that to whatever services you like, like healthcare, etc, etc. That's all provided for very well. But for most people, those things don't function. I should uh, mention that Again, I think there have been sort of moves in the UK for G4S to try and get into policing specifically. I was looking at, at US, looking at things in the US, and I found that there were a couple of examples of police forces where private officers um, were used to respond to, to calls, run traffic radar, make arrests, and they could use the blue lights as well. So, again, the privatisation of the police that Robocop was, you know, presumably picking up on the this tendency for privatization um consumerism turning everything into into a product and that has that has come that is coming so one thing that uh robocop does do uh, in its credit is it is kind of fighting against this current it's in many ways a takedown of, of privatization and the logic of of corporate culture so look quite a lot of the scenes are to do with the Backstep, uh, kind of behind the scenes power grabs of, of the company of OCP, and these executives are all like smarmy, backstabbing, greedy, awful people. So we see that kind of the culture of these these companies, uh, the the kind of culture they create, the ideology they create, and how that impacts on on the rest of us is something that it, it deals with. That's something that is a problem there. Um, the company owner in the end is is kind of presented as being like a good guy so it does this thing which often happens when you get critiques of whatever you know privatization the the police whatever these things are are often presented as as a moral problem rather than being systemic so it feels like for a lot of the time um, robocop is is kind of suggesting that this movement of privatization consumerization is, is inherently toxic it's a systemic problem but and and you know that the company's logic and its business model is inherently a problem. Its business model is to is to find areas that haven't been traditionally private and exploit them for profit, find new realms for profit. But he's kind of redeemed at the end as a, as a good guy. He I can't remember the ending exactly. As I said, I wasn't planning on doing this episode uh, now, so I would have checked that what I've read in my notes exactly. But I remember that he's in some way like I think he. He helps Robocop in some way or praises him, I don't know, or like disciplines the people to behind what was going on in terms of the corruption and stuff, I don't know. But I remember he's ends up being presented as a kind of, of good guy. So he's he's redeemed in, in some way, which I think is a problem when we should be thinking about the, the whole logic and business model of, of this company, which that guy has initiated. A big part of what's going on with OCP as well is the issue of gentrification. Again, very big issue in the UK I'm sure I believe it is in the US as well 
Yeah, not just in those two. I keep saying US and UK, I'm sorry, because um, those are what I'm most familiar with. But also, that's definitely happening in other places here in Germany. I know there's been been talks about certain areas in Berlin and their gentrification as well. So I think that's a you know, phenomenon that's broader than that. I'm just going with, with what I know best. And I give these examples. In the film, there's a plan for Delta City. And this is a corporate utopia that will replace old Detroit. They describe it as a cancer that needs to, to be removed. So the whole plan is to replace rather than to make it better for the people that are living there. The plan is to make the public space into a corporate one. And again, public space is, is disappearing. Gentrification is this whole process of not making con conditions better for people that are already there, but for cleansing these areas and creating a, a kind of safe space for for the people who will come in and, and can afford to live there. And again, it becomes a, often becomes a kind of um, corporate place or loses its um, soul in some way. So yeah, I think that's important, this kind of false utopianism of gentrification, like making a an area nice again in inverted commons in some cases improving the economy or services in those areas but only at the expense of the people that live there great pain um and difficulties for those communities also interestingly you may have seen there's a lot of there's been a lot of talk from my favorite subject um tech people in on the uh, west coast of america talking about creating like their own city that like we can't um you know the idea of uh, we have the perfect formula for the city that like with technology if people would just follow like our logic we can create the perfect city so they want to go and create something new for them they have no care for actually making conditions better for the people that aren't them they don't, they, they think of these uh they think of an area that i don't know has high crime or low income or whatever they think of that as a, a mathematical problem that could be solved if if people would listen to them or if these people were better they and if they could run these places with the systems that they use in their technology but they want to do that somewhere else so their utopia is you know creating this um ideal like smart city and again talks about the problems of that in previous episode particularly the cities and architectural one and something that this film makes clear i think is that the creation of these uh these kinds of utopias these private utopias is at the expense of creating a dystopia for the rest of us so um i don't particularly have um, a clear idea of, of how to close this same to think safe to say that i think robocop shows the the value of a uh, dystopian approach like it very clearly brings into focus negative aspects of the society um, at the time that the film was made and where those where those trends were taking us and renders them exaggerated and and monstrous as they are but in, in that way you know making them very visible even as i said though i think it's obviously got like more conservative strands in it which is inevitable in a kind of mainstream action sci-fi film it has these progressive strands and it has these reactionary strands again i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing i often well it is a bad thing i suppose i prefer <laughs> i prefer to have good films with good politics but still i find these kind of things interesting 
<laughs> I think that's the the end of that. I don't really have a sorry. I don't have a great way to wrap that up. But as I said, I did not plan to do these this episode, and um, these notes were not written for me to do a solo episode. So I hope I've done an okay job of turning them into something fairly interesting or entertaining. Sorry if I haven't, and sorry if this episode isn't up to the standards of the other ones, but you know, let me know if this was bad or if you liked it. And maybe if I get in a situation again where I am um, struggling to get an episode out in a timely way because of arranging stuff with, with guests or whatever, then maybe I can put out another solo one. Um, obviously, I do the, the, the um, Philip K. Dick ones, but my plan was just to do the Philip K. Dick ones solo, not to do other stuff like this, but... Hey, that's the way it's turned out. And um, yeah, like I say, I hope it was okay. So thank you very much for listening. I don't think I've had any reviews on iTunes or anything recently. So I'll ask you again, if you have got the time to give me a rating or review on iTunes, that helps to improve the visibility of the podcast. That would help to get more people to listen to it. So that would be really great if you could take a moment to do that. I've got a uh, Patreon at patreon.com slash Utopian Horizons. If you wanted to contribute a little bit of money to me um, to help me to keep doing this, pay for the costs of hosting and so on, which you're probably not going to do after listening to, to this episode, but uh, we'll see. You can find me on Twitter at Utopian Horizons, facebook.com slash Utopian Horizons. There is a Discord that I've set up, which is a kind of chat server thing where people can talk and there's um, a decent amount of us in there now so yeah there's a link you can find a link to that at the on the pin tweet on my twitter at utopian horizons so just go there if you want to come and join and you can tell me if this episode was good or bad or anything else you you want to say also my email is utopianhorizonspod at gmail.com so again if you've got any questions or comments you want to make you can get in touch with me there i think that that's everything but as i say i'm not very prepared for this episode so maybe not but i'm going to end it here anyway thank you very much for listening i will be back hopefully not too far away with an episode on strange days and angel of the revolution and also philip k dick's the simulacra at some point in between or after that stuff hope you've enjoyed it thank you for listening (laughs) 